Welcome to the Get It Done Podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Ryan. I help people get it done in the sense of achieving their dreams of home ownership. Getting it done can mean so many things. It can come in all shapes and sizes. This podcast is about that central theme, getting it done, whatever that may be. In the future, we're going to have guests talk about their own personal experiences in getting it done, how they overcame adversity to achieve their dreams. Once again, I'm Jimmy Ryan, and I'll be your host, and this is our story. Welcome to the Get It Done Podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Ryan. Today we have Dom Denzow. Dom is uh, coming back for a second interview, and we're really looking forward to today. Tom, our Dom, welcome back to the Get It Done Podcast. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. For sure, brother. Well, so what's uh, what's new? What's been what's been going on since we last spoke back in uh, November? Yeah, so uh, things have been well. I was able to get away for a little bit, enjoy some warm weather in Florida for uh, a few for a few long days or weekends, and see some family. And uh, you know, now it's great that uh, weather's getting better and getting to enjoy some golf early on. Trying to trying to get that in right away. Heck yeah, absolutely. Where'd you go in Florida? Uh, Naples area. That's awesome, brother. That's right. I think uh, I think we were talking. We we're trying to connect in uh, Fort Myers Beach, but I don't think it worked out. Uh, yep. Sunny and uh, eighty degrees every day down there. A little bit different uh, than up here. Absolutely perfect. Well, you know, we we want to we want to just follow up with you here. Uh, what's uh, you know what's changed since we've uh, since we've last talked? Yeah, a lot of the the, the market conditions have continued. Uh, it's still been going really well as a, a strong seller's market, but the the interest rates have remained great, and it's been. Um, uh, sometimes a struggle, but it's, it's helped us get better at our business and get creative to help buyers and, and, um, everything we can do to help them. It's, it's, it's a really positive thing for the future. Hey, absolutely, man. Uh, so to go into uh, brand, how are you, would you say growing your personal brand? Yeah, with my brand, it's, it, it's truly been, uh, and everyone likes to say that they work off referrals and things, but uh, with my brand, it's really been testimonials, referrals. I've been, uh, I try to create a lot of the camaraderie between the people I work with and clients and, and um, spend time with them and have them get to meet each other because it's a lot of fun when, when they get talking and, and telling stories. And, um, and so I really try to keep things tight-knit and, and the people that I work with are, um, really people that, that really want to work with me and, and um, yeah, they get to enjoy meeting each other and, and creating new friendships with that too. And I think that just kind of expands outward. How do you uh, connect them? How do you uh, get everybody to meet each other? Sure. Well, uh, 2020 made things a little, uh, a little weird with that, but with my uh, background as a chef, I, I like to throw uh, barbecues or parties at my house, packer parties when we can, and, and looking forward to getting uh, possibly a, a Memorial Day, uh, party or, or some other uh, big barbecue this summer once everyone's feeling a little more comfortable. Um, I, I cook for them. I have people over and, and they get to to see and hang out and, and have fun with each other. Brother, that's really awesome. Uh, I think that that's something that's super lacking in uh, today's day and age. Everybody's just fearing, you know, coming out and meeting with people. And you, it, there's reasons for it, but uh, but I think that that's uh, kind of a unique thing, just bringing people together. What are you finding people are talking about with you? Or about you? Yeah, I think a lot of people have fun telling the stories about how their how their process went. Um, I think they they enjoy getting to 
uh, do stuff with each other. I try to have some uh, fun events going on, hammer schlagen or, or axe throwing or, um, you know, all sorts of things. My, my neighbor loves to have pull out the bounce house. So we have people with kids over playing in the bounce house. Um, and, uh, and all in all, it's, it's in my wheelhouse that I enjoy entertaining. I enjoy cooking for people. And that just makes it that much more fun when you don't have to force it to, to try and make things happen. Brother, that's, I mean, that's awesome. I, I mean, I, I want to bring my kid to this. We're, uh, I, and I can't wait for you to, I, I'd love to eat your food, especially knowing your background. And that's actually a perfect segue to, you know, your sports uh, background in sports hospitality, particularly. Uh, talk about your sports highlights and uh, maybe some of your favorite times when you were a full-time chef. Sure. Uh, yeah, that was, that was a lot of time. And it, every year I reminisce a, a little bit more about it when baseball season comes back around and seeing the the highlights and the some of the behind the scenes thing. And, and I think they still sometimes play the commercial that I'm in there, um, even however many years ago. But yeah, I, uh, throughout the nine years I was in sports hospitality, I, I did helped out at one Super Bowl, the one out in New York. I did, I think it was three World Series, maybe four, depending on that. Um, but I spent a lot of time out in Texas. I went to, worked a Wayne Gretzky event in Canada for the NHL in Edmonton. Um, one of the kind of interesting things there is, as part of uh, Canada's visiting, they don't like people uh, outsourcing their jobs out of the country. And so I had to tell them I wasn't there to actually work when I was going into Canada. I was just there to observe how things were getting done at, at the hockey stadium. And I mean, you kind of, I mean, it's halfway true. You kind of are, I mean, you're managing the whole place, you yeah. know, uh, did you meet Wayne Gretzky by chance? Uh, I did not. Um, he was enjoying himself greatly at the, uh, I think it would, would have been what the 30 year anniversary of their um, Stanley cup. And um, he was, him and his family and he in particular was enjoying the party very, very much. So I wasn't able to <laughs> hang out with Wayne, but I, it, it was really neat seeing the operations of an NHL stadium in another country and how they run their suites and, um, and, and how to help and, and bring things back to here. What was different about it? I mean, it's, it's Canada. <laughs> I'm sure. I mean, is it just like mannerisms and that type of things, like little things or. It, it, there was mannerisms that was different. It, it, the, the process, I think, could have been streamlined a lot. Like I, I, I feel like they they had a really st strong emphasis on having people keeping jobs rather than making jobs more efficient and um, streamlining the labor force. So, kind of like everybody, everybody gets a job regardless of their talents type of a thing, or like uh, I think it was more like streamlining processes in which okay. you know instead of having you know uh, just one thing that I thought in particular was just how even how they opened the chips to put in a basket for in a suite and in most suites they or most scenarios they would put a, a bag in a basket it would go to the suite and then when the guests get there the suite attendant would come and open it it takes two seconds right but instead they had three people in their kitchen who were opening these baskets dumping it in then wrapping it and putting it on the cart and and it was a full day job for like two or three people that um just seemed unnecessary. I love that you notice those tiny little things with, with systems and processes. I would, I, the thing that came to mind for me was like, wouldn't they be stale by the time? I guess they probably, <laughs> they, they wrap them up. Um, it, talk about, you know, you talk about a Super Bowl and three world series. Uh, that's, uh, that's pretty cool. Did you meet anybody cool at, uh, at, at any of these? I have to imagine. Yeah. So um, I actually, 
for the World Series, I, I was in um, Texas with the Rangers and um, and so at the, the Arlington and uh, yeah, Rangers Stadium in Arlington. Um, and they, I actually did a lot of times their pregame parties, well, pre and postgame parties. So the pregame party was always for Nolan Ryan. And uh, I just thought it was so cool that he would have, it was usually about three to 400 people pregame. Um, and he actually would come up to us that are working in the background and, and say thank you and shake our hands. And I, I just thought that was one of the neatest like class act, uh, you know, professionals I've seen. And, and it was cool too, because he has his own meatpacking company. So we were actually using Nolan Ryan hot dogs and brats and stuff for his party. And, and so I thought that was really neat. That's awesome. And for the record, no, there is no relation between Jimmy Ryan and Nolan Ryan. Uh, just, just, just going to put that out there right away. But that's really cool because there's a lot of people that would, I would argue, expect a, you know, a star to be this person that's just completely unreachable and somebody that isn't going to ever say hi to you. But this guy met when I was away to, you know, shake your hand and say hi to you. And look, you're preparing for you said three to four hundred people. Yes. Yep. My goodness. For before and after. Uh, after was the media event. And so typically that was around, it, it would get bigger with each round. So the first round of the playoffs, it would be maybe 500. Then wow. second round, the ALCS would be about a thousand and then it'd be 2000 to 2,500, uh, post-game, um, party for, uh, when it got to the world series, which then if the game went into, to, extra innings, you know, we're sitting here waiting for people to come out right when the game ended and we were there at 6 a.m. And now the game goes till midnight while our party started at midnight. So then the party would go from midnight until 2 a.m. And then we'd be back at 6 a.m. for the, to, to open things up the next day. So when, okay, that's a lot of different places I want to go with that. So managing feeding just a hundred people is a chore. Three to 400 is a different thing. Uh, 1,000, 2,500 people, how are you, I guess, what are the challenges that you have to face when you do manage preparing for a party like that? Yeah, the first matter, the first obstacle really, especially once it got to the World Series and there isn't enough, you know, event space to, to now have that, um, we actually had to build our own kitchens. So we would, they would come set up a tent and then deliver all the equipment. Well, then we'd have to plug the equipment in. We'd have to get it all set. So really um, refrigeration is the biggest thing and, and, and really trying to have food be hot and ready, but not have it be sitting so long that it doesn't taste good. And so we'd rent um, uh, like food trailers. So mm-hmm. like refrigerated trucks and have a big trailer that we'd be loading our food on and off from. And, and um Really, it's it's all about coordination and timing and and which things hold longer than others and which things are going to need to be finishing up right as the people are walking in the doors. Do you have somebody like watching the game or, or do you even get the chance to watch the game? I, I would have to probably not. Well, yeah, because well, well, you're, you're busy preparing all this food. What does somebody telling you, hey, it's going an extra innings. Hey, it's going, you know, it's going to be midnight, you know. Do they, how do they even guess when it's going to end and, and, and your, you know, party starts? It's, yeah, that's a great question. I mean, it would, we, we would have it on the radio usually and, and be listening or, or pull it up on our phones. Usually we'd be, you know, wanting to have things set and ready by the middle of the, the uh, ninth inning. And so that way we could just be double checking things and, and do, putting the finishing touches on during the ninth inning. Um, so when it, when it went into extra innings or it's looking like it, then we would have to start pulling pulling stuff off or coordinating ways to do it. And, and um, we tried to do everything as fresh as possible. And, and so we took a lot of pride in that. That's really awesome. Yeah. Timing is certainly key. Anybody else uh, notable that you met uh, 
over the years? Uh, you know, it, a lot of um, interaction with being with the Brewers, it was just the, the players in and around the clubhouse. Uh, when I would go help out in spring training, the where my grill was set up was where the players' workout facility was. And so a lot of times uh, any number of the players would be jogging by and like, Hey, you know, make sure my stakes meter mirror for me today and things like that. So <laughs> it was, it, it was, it was a lot of fun and it's, it's neat to see the people uh, as people and not this on this pedestal. And um, yeah, it was it, the, the genuine and, and especially the players that are hoping to make the team and how cool it is for them to get their first big league experience and things like that. It's a lot of fun. That's really awesome. I, I would transition to real estate a little bit now, you know, you're uh, an assistant sales director and, you know, you're kind of in a, in a hybrid role. You, you're doing a lot of different things. You're, you're both being, you know, in a management side of things, but you're also actively selling. How does your experience in sports hospitality play or come to play when, you know, you're doing your job as an assistant sales director? Yeah, I, that's a, a great question. And um, I think it, it comes into play a lot in which I am looking at everything with a hospitality background as opposed to a transactional background. And when, when I want to take great care of people and, and be a part of the excitement in their lives with these big life events of buying a home or selling a home or moving up to their forever home um, and how neat it is to be a part of that. Now it just kind of expands that process to all the agents I'm helping train and in watching them help, be a part of these life events for their friends and family and clients. And, and so really it, it expands that reach and, and it's just very fulfilling with seeing all of that. How do you inspire others to see that the hospital hospitality side, the service side, the value side is so much greater than the transaction? I, yeah, that's a, another really great question. Um, so I really want people from day one to be looking at, instead of uh, people as a, a transaction, I want people to look at as a relationship. And turning that relationship, going from a relationship to a referral is huge. And, and really, it's not all about the person that you're talking with. Maybe it's about somebody that they know. And, and you want to create you know, raving fans that'll tell the whole world about what a great experience it was. And, and that's the way to, to really grow your business in a really sustainable way. Well, that's fire. I think that everybody needs to really hear that. It's, it's more about the relationship that you have with the people, people buy from people, you know, it's not, it, it, they don't care about your role or your title or your, whatever it is, they care about you, yep. you know, and uh, going into that more, uh, is, is speaking about inspiring others to go into that type of uh, position. Who inspires you and how? Uh, you know, I, I think that's a great question. Keeps repeating myself. Uh, well, no, brother, no, I, I mean, I, I think that's keep a, on solid, me. A, sol- a solid line right there. I mean, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, really, and we touched a, a little bit about it on the first podcast and, and it, it may seem like a, a bit of a cop out, but I, I do, my dad really inspired me with the work ethic and the way he has uh, always treated his business and, and felt that here are how many lives we've touched. And now I'm with a company in which um, the, the president of it and is the, the grandson of the founder. And uh, every year, instead of talking about sales or anything like that, it's here's how many families we've helped. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think that it's, it's a perfect spot that um, when you're looking at it as helping families and, and helping people, it totally changes the mindset rather than, okay, we hit our sales goal. Like right. that's, that's, it's a totally different thing, but, 
but they don't have to be exclusive of each other. You know, it reminds me of an interview I had with Steve Jacobson, the CEO of Fairway. And, you know, he looks at it like, you know, people aren't going to remember you for your numbers. People aren't going to remember you for, you know, you hit the sales goal, but they're, but they'll remember you if you change their life. They'll remember you if you actually help them. And he says that, you know, we, we, we're awake another day. We're alive another day. We just have more people to help, you know, and that's really what, what it really comes down to. Um, and not a cop out at all, man. Your dad has a great, what he's, he's built a great company. I mean, you know, it's, um, it's a great thing. Well, transition to really what's next. Uh, you know, you're in this role of assistant sales director. You have a, you have a great, you know, you have a great job. I mean, it's really cool because you get kind of both sides. Mm-hmm. You get to still sell and still take care of your own clientele, but you also get to kind of manage and you get the, you know, the fulfillment there. What's next? Uh, what mountain are you climbing? Sure. Um, yeah, I've, as as for what's next, I think I'm really enjoying what I do, and I really I'm learning so much to help my clients with currently. Not only am I seeing my transactions through, but I'm also seeing what's happening in 80 other people's transactions and the amount of knowledge you gain with that. Um, I, I don't uh, necessarily have a a firm goal as to what's next as as with the company, but more of myself and continuing to you know help families and um, work work on a little bit of balance as well with with uh, leisure time and trying to to golf more and and spend some time in the sun and I think that after a year of 2020 and people being cooped up that that became a, a much bigger priority of of getting some real vitamin D in yeah for sure I mean and I would I would also assume you want to help others to do that as well I uh, so you'd stay put you you just you just keep on doing what you're doing because <laughs> I, I just, I interviewed uh, Barry Habib. He, I asked him here, you're, you know, 10 years from now, you'll be 71. You strike me as a person that's never going to retire. And he told me, look, Jimmy, I don't even work. I feel like I don't work. You know, I'm fulfilled every day by helping people. Is that, I guess, if you were to speak to that, where, is that just you all day long or, 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 or where are you growing? Yeah, I think that's a good analysis and that you know, my job doesn't change with uh, with the years or have a lot of the things in there it's just every year i have more opportunities to help more people and and just because the the position may remain the same doesn't mean the the opportunities aren't there and the way to grow and and the way to reach more families doesn't exist and and i i just really enjoy what i do and it's it's fantastic helping uh some of these newer agents see their careers take off and and that's not only fulfilling with what's going on in my business, but it's really fulfilling to see them, you know, reaching those goals and, and, you know, going from their jobs that um, they put their notice in and how excited they are to, to year, you know, a year from there, then two years from there and, and how now they're, they're hitting their goals in six months, what would have taken them a year at their, at their previous positions. And I think that's, Really exciting. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's an unbelievable feeling uh, when when that happens and seeing it in others. That's uh, even better. Uh, you know, that's newer agents. Uh, talk about it, 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 an experienced agent. Both of us know know well. Adrian Barrera. She called me the other day and she told me, you know, Jimmy, I wrote five offers and all of them got denied. We wrote over asking price on this. We wrote this this inspection on that. You know, I, th- I expected all five to go through and every single one of them didn't. And then here, here's her, here's her thing. She was like, look, I, I literally cried all day because I had to call these five people and tell them that we lost. How do you stay motivated in this market? Very similar to what my weekend must have looked like as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, almost to the T with a lot of that. Uh, but it, the motivation really comes from um, 
you take that moment. All right. You, you know, you let yourself have that moment, but then you go on to the, the next thing and that, you know what, when I, when I'm talking with my clients and I hate making that phone call, there's nothing worse, especially when you have to make it multiple times to the same people. Uh, but it's, it, when we talk and, and we come up with the strategy, it's let's put our best foot forward that you can sleep good at night, no matter what, if someone outbid you, they came in crazy and they just did, and you didn't go too low that, you know, you, you feel like, oh shoot, I didn't want to miss out over a thousand dollars or something that might be a few dollars a month. And, and so I think they, I'd like to think that um, they take that calming and, and all right, we're going to put our best foot forward every time. And if you don't get it, it just, you know, you're, you can still sleep good at night knowing, you know, you did everything that you can within your means to do that. And, um, and it's, it's never fun, never easy, but um, I, I think that translates pretty well. Yeah. I mean, you got to make, you got to make that phone call. Uh, it, it doesn't change it. It, it. it seems to me that the, re, that the phone call is easier if you tee them up, the clients, when they make the offer that like, look, don't leave money on the table. If you're going to go after it, go after it. Are, are you pretty much saying like, look, what's your highest and best where like, look, if somebody bought it for a dollar more, you wouldn't be disappointed. Is that kind of the conversation? Yeah. And, and even before that first offer, I like to have that conversation with, with a consultation or a buyer strategy session upfront. And when we have that conversation before a house is involved, people are already prepared. And, and once a house gets involved, it's the information's already there. And um, I think that that preparation that it is tough right now. And if we're up against 49 other offers, um, the likelihood is fairly small, but you got to, you know, put your best foot forward and, and see where the chips fall. And, and I think that that it's never easy, but it, it, it makes it a really manageable expectation with people that um, we're going to do everything we can to get you that house. But um, sometimes someone else might've missed out on 15 houses and are going to go all in with everything they've got. And there's not much we can do about that. I mean, right. Uh, absolutely happens. What's the craziest offer that you made that didn't get accepted? Uh, we, there was an offer that was 60,000 above list price that didn't get accepted. Oh my goodness. And I, I, I couldn't give a great reason as to why not. Um, and it was, it was just unbelievable. But at the, at the end of the day, uh, you know, my, my clients end up with a, a new construction home that they're very happy in with a great neighborhood. And, and so um, they may not be uh, two blocks from me mm -hmm. um, like they would have been, but uh, they're, they're in a great spot now and loving the house that they're in. So the, the end result turned out really, really well for them. Wow. 60 K. Uh, and I always tell people this, if you lose out on a house, you know, my, I guess my encouragement to both people is like, look, you, you're going to in some way, shape or form, find a better house that was more meant to be. And that's generally the motivation to you know, get, get going, uh, you know, you know, to the next place. You know, we're, we're talking about losing, uh, let's transition to uh, winning, you know, in an industry of incredibly fierce competition. How are you winning? Uh, I think it goes back to the, the, the hospitality mindset of, of things in which, um, you know, some people can really tell when you're, when you're trying to get a sale and move on to the next quickly. And, and that may work for one year, may work for two years, but it doesn't work along your career. And so the, even with, a lot of struggles right now. It's 
we're trying to come up with as creative ways as possible to, to get people the help they need, whether it be some short-term creative housing, if we need to figure that out, it's any way we can do it to, to get them the best result. They, they really feel that effort that's being put in. And I think that that's what keeps the, the hopes up and keeps people moving forward in the right direction without getting overly frustrated and, and, you know, just dropping out or something like that. Well, I mean, brother, you're certainly playing the long game, especially when you're talking about, you know, relationships. I mean, these people will buy a house from you in the future. They'll sell a house in the future. Uh, all that specifically in strategy, I don't want to get too far in the weeds, but uh, strategy to get an accepted offer. How are, what are you finding is working? Is it, um, is it by doing rent backs? Is it by going over the list price? Is it waiving contingencies? Any you know tips and tricks that you you'd give to somebody to get uh, an AL? Yeah, I mean, even just as simple as making a phone call. Mm. Uh, I, I've, mm. as a listing agent, I've had so many times just have a, a, a offer pop up in my inbox that I had no clue was even coming. And and when it's my buyers, I want to make that phone call and like, hey, I get it. You know, price in terms that you're going to want the best for your seller. But what else? Do they want rent back? Do they, you know, is there a preferred closing date? We don't want to try to make our offer look good by making it as short as possible to only find out that that stresses them out about getting out in the house on time. Mm -hmm. And so you've hurt yourself by trying to be uh, outthink them. And so just making that phone call, talking to the listing agent and seeing, you know, what can we do that um, above all else is going to have the most impact to your seller. And, and there are notes that, you know, that buyers can write that don't include anything about their, um, you know, any of their statuses or what type of person they are, but just the things that they love about the home and the memories that they plan on creating in the future in that home. Um, you know, every everything we can do to, to get them in this house is, is what we're gonna do. And, um, and anything I can do, especially when you've got a good rapport and good reputation. Right. Um, there, are, there are agents that out there and try to, um, every single transaction they're a part of, they just try to, you know, either rake the seller over the coals or like whatever they can possibly do and make it, make that transaction really difficult. Well, that hurts their future buyers by, you know, now if that offer comes through, you know, and the agent was hard to work with, it's, it, it, that, it that doesn't give you a preference to it. And, and, you know, each agent, you know, can run, run the business their own way. But I think, conducting yourself professionally with, with every single transaction, with every single client, it's just going to, you know, help your future clients as well. Not just today's. I mean, that's, that is such a, I wish I could like highlight and bold this. Like, I think that people really don't take into, I guess they don't just, they don't comprehend that when you are a pain in the ass on a, on a transaction, that's going to, Get, come up back to bite you down the road. If you're easy to work with and there's 30 different other offers, you're the one that's easy to work with, you know? And, um, and I think that there's a lot of top producers that were top producers that now are finding like, wow, maybe I was a little bit too aggressive. Maybe I was a little bit, whatever it is. And I love that. Pick up the phone, communicate. That's uh, another Barry, Barry Habib quote in his book, Money in the Streets. He says, pick up the damn phone. Um, it's just so funny because yeah, you get an offer in the inbox. What sets you apart? You know, what, what makes it different? Uh, I love the letter piece. Uh, this, this for me, is, this story really, uh, changed my opinion on their letters. I always thought they're kind of cheesy mm -hmm. personally. Um, and who knows if people are, are, are faking them or not, but also this is the thing, a seller, think about it. Do they want to sell their house to a rock band that's going to have a concert in their backyard every single you know, you know day? No, they don't. 
they want to leave the leave the neighborhood the way they found it. They want to leave a legacy there. They want to see people growing up there. They don't want to they don't want to leave it in, in in shambles. Do you think that is that kind of what you're selling when you have them write write a letter or what? How I guess what type of letter are you having them write? I think that also goes to part of it too. Is you look you look for clues in the house, and and personalize it to to the scenario. If you just have one generic letter that's written and you send it to every single one, I think it'll come off that way. Um, but it, even the, a lot of my clients now have dogs. And so you, you go in the backyard and you see it's fenced in and you talk about them, you know, playing fetch in the backyard. That's, um, it, it really makes it more relatable and, and really personalized to, to the actual scenario rather than just, you know, some, some canned thing that they've now sent out for the, to the sixth seller. Gosh, I really love it. It's uh, it goes back to your relationship, hospitality. People buy from people. A dog lover is probably going to want to sell to another dog lover, and I think that that's like uh, I actually talk about this with Matt Holbrook. You know, people will either go with you or not for sometimes the stupidest of reasons. Hey, I have a dog, and I'm going to have a dog here. Um, but that's great, and that's uh, I mean, that's just fire advice to anybody out there. So to transition to the year 2021, why is 2021 the best time to buy out home. Uh, yeah, it's the the rates have remained fantastic. It's uh, even if the prices go up a little bit, what you're you're saving over the course of thirty years is, is so much more substantial than potentially putting in an offer a few thousand dollars above the list price. I think twenty twenty one is a great year because you're paying a mortgage no matter what. Hopefully, you're just paying your mortgage, not your landlord's. And if, if you're uh, concerned about paying a little bit higher than you should, it's when you're renting, that money just disappears. And, um, you know, for, for the last few years, a lot of the same conversations have had of, hey, you know, what if the prices go down in a year? Well, if you would have bought three years ago, you'd be in a fantastic position now. And that's when you were hear, hearing this exact same question. So I think now is a fantastic time to take advantage of everything you can with those rates and, and, and really... Um, get to the areas that you want to be in because some trends are shifting from people moving into the cities or out of the cities and and really finding a place that you want to go and enjoy lock that up and 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 get to enjoy your you know your friends and family time there do you think in 2022 prices will be the same as they were in 2021 uh i i feel like the there will be some sort of correction but I, I don't know that there could even be enough inventory to alleviate all the current buyer need that it's not just going to disappear one day. And it's going to take a really long time of, of adjusting and slowing down before any prices start to actually decrease. Um, and especially Wisconsin has actually been, I think, one of the top 13 states for appreciation. And, and we haven't had anything crazy like North Dakota with the fracking and things like that, that really that had a boom to the market and then it drops off. Wisconsin's really been organically growing and, and, and not like, you know, some of the coastal states either where you're having 35% appreciation in one year, this, you know, six to 7% is, is pretty, it's, it's manageable without, you know, throwing things off and all of a sudden running into major issues with housing prices dropping like rocks. I just don't see it. Yeah, I mean, and you and you mentioned, you know, with Wisconsin uh, as a whole, you know, people are moving to our state, actually, out of Illinois, out of Minnesota, and actually Michigan and Iowa, too, people are moving to our state, which only, you know, keeps the you know prices higher. But year over year, actually, nationally, 
I just saw a stat. It's, uh, it's, I think it's 10.4%. It's a little bit over 10%. I mean, I love hearing people's opinions on this. And I mean, who knows, you know, we're, we're, we're literally, well, let's look into our crystal ball and look at this. I just don't see it stopping. Yeah. Like what's going to stop it. You're right. Are they going to build, suddenly build more houses? Well, lumber is super expensive, you know, and where are they going to build it? You know, you have to, you have to figure that out. And then what if rates go up? What if they don't? What if there's a recession? What, there, there's a million things. I just don't think that there's going to be enough homes that get brought to the market where, you know, prices are going to come down. And you mentioned renting too. Rent goes up at 3.3% per year. Uh, I do analyses with people and I show them here, this is what this looks like five, 10 years down the road. And a lot of times at the 15 year mark, they would have paid as much in rent as like a hundred thousand dollars more than the house that they're buying type of a thing. Absolutely. Um, speak to that. So, so when people are looking and they are really struggling, getting, you know, offers rejected and whatever, how are, I guess, what is the biggest like push over the edge for them? Like what, what keeps them going? I, I really think it's uh, like you're saying that, you know, rent keeps going up. We're hearing some crazy increases. Um, and, you know, I heard one the other day if someone was like, Hey, I told my neighbor to, to call you because their landlord was thinking of raising their rent by $500 a month. My goodness. And, and things like that, where that's all out of your control. Mm-hmm. And, and if you're going to, again, pay a mortgage, you might as well be paying it, you know, your mortgage and, and it doesn't take long, even if your mortgage is only a thousand dollars a month times five years, that's sixty thousand dollars. Right. That's just disappeared. And not including it going up at all. Right. And not including it going up at all. And and when you look at that, okay, if the if if the house price either remains the same or drops a little bit, you're still gonna be in a way better situation than have you know sixty thousand dollars just disappear because that goes away completely. Hundred percent, brother, hundred percent. Well, uh well, Tom, I've really uh I loved our our, our second interview today. And if anybody was, you know, looking to connect with you, Dom, what would be the best way for them to connect? Yeah. Uh, I have a Facebook page, Dominic Denso with Shore West Realtors, a website, ddenso.shorewest.com. And, uh, or my phone number, I'd, I'd prefer a phone call or a text is great. 262-219-0581. Um, love to talk to you. That's beautiful, brother. And look, we'll put uh, links and uh, the phone number in the uh, podcast description. And we want to thank everybody for joining us today. We want to especially thank Dom uh, for coming on a second time. And, you know, if you if you like this uh, show and you've liked uh, what you've heard, you know, tell a friend, uh, write us a five star review, hit that subscribe button. All those things make a huge difference in helping us reach more people. Once again, I am Jimmy Ryan. This has been the Get It Done podcast. Thanks so much for listening.